This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Get $75 off your first order. Go to Molecule.com, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and use the promo code FOOL75. It's Wednesday, July 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today. First time in a while, she's probably been avoiding me. It's Abby Mallon. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. We've got the battle for the living room. We have an earnings preview. We're going to start with actual earnings results. Actually, let's start with this. Uh, Tuesday's episode, some of the dozens of listeners, uh, there was a technical snafu, so only about half the audience got the show. So we're, we're working to remedy that. So if you were one of those who didn't get Tuesday's episode as expected, we apologize for that. Once every, I don't know, 150 episodes or so, there's a technical snafu. So we're sorry about that. Uh, but thanks for checking back today. United Airlines, second quarter results look pretty nice. Their profits were 50% higher than a year ago. And they are doing this while dealing with the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX airplanes. Definitely. I mean, they reported earnings of about $4 a share, so that beat expectations. Um, and then they increased the midpoint for their full year 2019 guidance. So um, previously it was $10 to $12, now it's $10.50 to $12. So um, all positive implications. I don't know about you, but I find it interesting to watch the fine line that a lot of these airline executives are walking when it comes to the Boeing 737 MAX because. United didn't really come out and talk about the impact. They referred to an order of some older Boeing airplanes that um, I think is going to be that delivery is going to happen at the end of this year. But they're, on the one hand, don't you think they have to be (laughs) just dying to come out and lay some of the blame at Boeing's feet? But on the flip side, Boeing is their airline. If you know, they're they're the company that makes the planes, so they can't really right annoy them too much. Yeah, I mean, they signed an agreement to purchase 19 used Boeing 737-700 aircrafts, um, and those are expected to come in December. I think, I think that's sort of why this earnings call is interesting. It's not necessarily about United, but more for Boeing's side. Um, I think it says something that. Um, airline executives are still choosing Boeing planes because you do have Embraer, you have Airbus, so it's it's not a total monopoly. But I think it's still interesting that, regardless of this horrible complication that Boeing is having with their latest and greatest technology, um, I think it says something. So, part of the narrative throughout all of this uh, for the U.S. airlines that have 737 Maxes on order. Uh, or have them in their fleet. One of the things you hear analysts say is, well, look, it's not like these airlines can just go to Airbus. And I just sort of, and this is where I'm ignorant because I'm, I'm not someone who's an airline industry analyst, but I think logically, at some point, if six months from now, Boeing hasn't fixed this, and you're United Airlines. Don't you call up Airbus? Don't you like at some yeah. point? Doesn't it become a conversation with Boeing where you say, "Look, we love you, and you've been doing great for us in the past. This is now impacting our business to the point where it is untenable." I think the switch is actually slower than normal consumer goods companies because just because the airline industry is so capital intensive and is is so innovation driven that. Um, there are certain requirements for specific flights, 
flouts, flights and routes. So um, I think it's a little bit more complicated, and I would foresee that being like maybe if we're still at this problem at two years, I would see maybe more of a transition. But at the time being, I think the capital intensity just isn't as flexible as um, competition would suggest it should be. It's going to be interesting to watch the rest of this year. Uh, let's move on to Elon Musk. And <laughs> listeners may be familiar with some of his business ventures that are not named Tesla, right? SpaceX, Solar City, etc. I was unaware uh, until a few listeners uh, emailed and tweeted this at me. I was unaware of one of his business ventures called Neuralink, which is a neurotechnology company that has a goal of, for people who choose this, uh, implanting chips. In people's brains, and during a live Q and A session last night, Musk announced that they've been testing this with animals, and he said, and I'm quoting here, "A monkey has been able to control a computer with its brain." <laughs> there weren't really details beyond that, but let's just sink I, that in for a second. Yeah, let's just let that sink in. A monkey has been able to control a computer with its brain. Uh, I've seen movies. Um, uh, I'm. As you know, nervous about the animal revolution as anyone is, so part of me looks at this and thinks, yeah, "This is terrible. This is terrible." On the flip side, you know, there's uh, there's maybe a medical, uh, you know, for human beings, maybe there's a, a medical application here. I, I I don't know. Like when you when you saw this story, what went through your mind? Did you just think, "Oh, this is just nuts," or did you think, eh, "I want to learn more as an investor"? Um, I mean, I think it's interesting. So they mentioned that they're looking to start trials on humans within the foreseeable future, roughly a year. And they're initially going to focus on helping people with brain disorders, so things like strokes or um, cancer lesions or uh, congenital brain dysfunction. I think, um, and the article that I read said that their goal is to sort of become as common as sort of a LASIK eye surgery that people get all the time now. Um, I think there's a fundamental difference between uh, correcting function or like giving sort of a recall mechanism, almost like a Google in your brain, versus an actual um, learning and understanding tool. So recalling facts is going to be a lot easier versus like helping people to understand physics by just having this chip there. Um, and I think that's sort of a crucial distinction for me for like how sci-fi scary this gets. Right. But it is. Super interesting, and then just because it's Elon Musk, it feels sort of Doctor Evil. So <laughs> you have to sort of be intrigued, right? I think so. And and yet again, I'm not a shareholder in Tesla, but it is one of those things where I look at it and I think, okay, are you still working on the cars? Are you still working on the deliveries and getting the Model Threes out the door and all that sort of thing? I mean, I mean, I know he's got a lot of people working around him, right? Um, but he's in so many different directions. He is in so many different directions. And uh, where's the candy company? I I don't know I don't know but I, I it also seems like Tesla is the business in some ways he's the least interested in I don't know maybe it's just because we see these stories about SpaceX and and we know that space is really maybe not his number one passion but it's it, it's um, if it's not number one by itself it's probably tied for first with something else right um, he's clearly intrigued by this he's a brilliant guy but just the I wonder though if it's not that Tesla is not his main passion, but more so that there's so much available information on Tesla, given that they are a public company, and now there's all the skepticism that it's sort of just frustrating or not interesting for him to talk publicly about. But I would hope that he, as a shareholder of Tesla still, I would hope that he still 
is passionate about that project. Emmy nominations came out yesterday. Probably not a surprise that HBO led the way with the final season of Game of Thrones and Succession and all that sort of thing. Uh, what leaped out to you? Because I, I wasn't surprised by this, but I was struck by the fact that when you look at the four traditional broadcast networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, we'll put Fox in that group as well, the aggregate number of nominations declined year over year. Definitely. I think that same exact fact jumps out right away. It, it also, I think, brings to sort of attention how many different options there are outside of even just like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, NBC, ABC. Like we have things on here like FX Networks, um, Showtime, VH1, National Geographic, AMC. So as much as we like to talk about sort of um, the big players, there are still quite a few. I mean, there's a high level of fragmentation in this market. Absolutely. And you mentioned Netflix. I mean, HBO was number one with nominations. Netflix was a pretty close second and, and actually got a few more than last year. Uh, Prime Video more than doubled the number of nominations they got. And, uh, you know, Tim Byers is, is going to be on Motley Full Money this week and uh, taped that interview on Monday. And one of the things we talked about was the streaming wars. And it's, I think it's really going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years, just because there's going to be so much money invested in it. Even when you have Ted Sarandos at Netflix, the chief content officer, recently telling a group of executives, we're actually going to be more cost efficient with the way that we spend money. Um, you couple that with you know Apple launching their service. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos is never shy about spending money, so Prime will continue to throw money at shows, and um, and then for consumers like us, I think a year from now, we're gonna, if not sooner, we're gonna start to see stories about people picking and choosing among the different services. Like once right. Disney Plus is up and running, uh, let's say that by next summer, NBC Universal has got their streaming app up and right. running, and. It's, a lot of it, I think, is going to come down to well, what are the shows you want to watch? I think it's interesting, too, with this sort of shift in how people are consuming media. You talked about the cost. I think, uh, historically, movies have obviously been the bulk of production um, costs. And, but now, with everyone, movies, TV, um, limited series, everything is sort of available on your laptop. I think that those cost balances are shifting. I don't know if movies have necessarily come down on budgets, but I know TV shows have increased. So, um, as a consumer, it's just more better content. So, um, a win there. But as a player in this market, it's going to be very, very hard to win. In terms of the movies, it really seems like the middle budget movies have almost completely gone away. It's mm -hmm. either the tentpole, the Mm -hmm. Superhero movies with the budgets of 150 million dollars and higher, or it's the independent, smaller. We're going to give you more creative control, but we're going to give you a ham sandwich. We're going to pay you with a single ham sandwich, and right. that's just it. Right, right. Um, what uh, in terms of the nominations? Was there anything that you saw? I don't, I don't know what shows you're watching, but were there any shows that you're like, oh, good, a show I watch got some nominations? Um, I watched Killing Eve. I loved it. Got a couple nominations. Um, I think that was my big one that I was excited about for them. Yeah, I was happy to see. Uh, as a fan of Better Call Saul, I was happy to see that get some nominations yes. as well. Yes. Uh, quick shout out to Molecule before we go on. 
molecule reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. They've introduced a breakthrough science that's finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecules technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people like yours truly. It's given asthma and allergy sufferers around the country an all-new experience. Though they've reinvented the air purifier, Molecule doesn't just collect air pollutants, it destroys them on a molecular level. And I have to say, it's kind of cool to have that kind of like molecular violence happening in your home <laughs> while making it easier for you to breathe. This includes viruses, bacteria, gaseous chemicals, and mold. And when you turn on Molecule, you're creating the purest air possible, combating allergy season by destroying allergens in the home. And you can get $75 off your first order. That's real money, people. Just go to Molecule.com, use the promo code FOOL75, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and use the promo code FOOL75. Grubhub, second quarter report is coming out next week. Um, this is a stock that's down more than 30% from a year ago. It kind of seems like they need a hit. This is a business that you look at closely. What are you going to be watching for? I think something that's pretty interesting is that you've seen sort of a shift in that competitive landscape. So, Amazon has officially chosen to shut down its restaurant delivery service, Amazon Restaurants US, after four years. Um, and that was after they exited the UK market back in December after two years of operation there. Um, they have subsequently invested in the UK's Deliveroo right back in May, I believe it was. Um, but I think that sort of shift in strategy, especially for a behemoth like Amazon that has all of the capital in the world, and if anyone could make um, logistics businesses work, I would think it would be Amazon. Um, I think it just really substantiates that barrier to entry that I've always seen with this business, and I think is constantly in question for Grubhub. So, does that give you optimism? As uh, If you're a Grubhub shareholder, are you excited about that? Because that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is, Amazon has never had a problem throwing money at a new business idea, and if they're getting out after testing it for a few years, then that tells me they've decided this is not a business we're interested in. The way I took it was that I think there's high barriers to entry, and they're just very geologically or geographically focused. So um, I don't even think it's necessarily U.S. versus U.K. I think it's as small as like Washington D.C. versus San Francisco versus Chicago, and you're going to see large players within each of those regions. Um, and I think Amazon was sort of late to the game; they didn't have quite the base that Grubhub and even some of the other big players do. So. Um, that was just going to be a lot of money for them to catch up. And so I think from a competitive space, yeah, I do think it's a very positive implication for Grubhub. Well, and this is one of those things that doesn't show up on the balance sheet, but it seems like from a brand standpoint, Grubhub appears to be the leader. Like you just, it, all you have to do is just look at stories about this industry, and you have companies that are self identifying as a competitor to Grubhub. Correct. Yeah. Abby Mallon, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.